welcome to episode 20 of Slaytanic Verkast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week, we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics and giving a final appraisal. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from Prince Andrew's favourite dollhouse, it's Dr. Lequescence. How are you doing, Doc? I'm very well, thank you very much, as usual. But this is a very, very unusual experience for me. Mm -hmm. For the first time in many, many years, I'm finding myself creeped out. Ah, oh, God, yeah. Um, this doesn't often happen to me, as you can probably imagine. Mm. Um, but I've got one short phrase. Um, I've got one two-word phrase, mm. um, which actually kind of sounds like it should be an excellent thrash track in its own right. <laughs> um, so um, I'm here in Prince Andrew's favourite dollhouse. I'm surrounded by the dolls, and the two-word phrase is, they move. Oh, God. Oh, give, come on, give us a flavour. What's going on? Not when you look right at them. <clears throat> <laughs> if you sit and look at one, they're there, glassy-eyed, glossy-lipped. Um, they're flesh, unmistakably synthetic, but somehow inviting, a little like mine. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> but, when you look at, but when you look around the room again, you can't help noticing that some of the dolls that you had your back to are in different positions. Oh, Christ. And as the evening, set, as the evening sets in and the light gets lower, sometimes out of the corner of your eye, you, you'll see just an arm or a leg or a mouth silently but with remarkable rapidity move from one position to another oh sweet jesus it's not they... so much like watching a movie mm. it, it's, it's not so much like watching a movie as it is reading a comic book so the eye will be in one position and then suddenly it'll, it'll be in another position almost too fast and once again you can't help thinking to yourself they seem placid they seem passive they seem almost inviting, but if they all decided to move at once, if they all decided to come at you, mm. you wouldn't stand a chance. Sure, sure. It makes me think of the um, terrifying doll from Terror of the Autons, Doc. But of course there's only one of those. I mean, by good luck, presumably because Prince Andrew wasn't into them, there are no ventriloquist dummies in this house. <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's best for legal reasons, not to speculate... I think it's best for legal reasons not to speculate about the things that Prince Andrew might or might not be into. Um, full disclosure, um, the Prince Andrew we're referring to um, is a gentleman whose given name is Prince and whose family <laughs> name is Andrew. I think we're covered. I think we're okay. Um, we're going to be okay. Is, I believe, he, he, is, I be he, he is, I believe, a well-known doll collector. <laughs> yes. Well, my favourite... Um, um, so, in any... Go on, Doc. In any case, I came here, well, um, I came here, and despite being a, a solitary misanthrope, um, I crave companionship mm. in the same way that one imagine an octopus might. Mm -hmm. um, and I came here in search of companionship, and um, I think the small want in my life is not going to be fulfilled, because, frankly, I'm frightened. 
this well, doesn't I'm, happen to me very often. No, I'm very, very sorry to hear that. Anything that can that can that can scare you, Doc, must be monstrous indeed. That's all I can say. Um, what have I been doing? Well, to be honest with you, Doc, I feel I feel quite quite grotty. Um, just you know, a peek behind the curtain. We're recording this on the 28th of December uh, in the year 2000 and 20 um and you know just the usual christmas overindulgence enough's enough enough's enough the detox starts tomorrow um corrections from last episode good doctor um no corrections today we must be doing a bang up job either that or i haven't bothered editing the last two episodes yet which, which one do you think is true doc I think we've almost done a bang-up job. You mm. did, but I didn't. Mm. Um, this is either a correction. Um, I, it, it may be a correction. Um, it may be a piece of reinforcement. I'm not sure. Um, I alluded in the last episode with, with, with some confidence, um, and hopefully giving the idea that I knew what I was talking about, to a film that I believed was the New York River. The film I was thinking of was Maniac. Ah, yes. Okay. Yes. Um, now... Mm-hmm. The New York Ripper is also a fine film, um, but that didn't happen to be the film I was thinking about at the time. Have you seen the remake um, the of Maniac with Elijah Wood? Right. Now, I was going to say, this is the one, this, this is the remake of Maniac without Elijah Wood, isn't it? Oh. Uh, um, well, in as much as um, Elijah Wood has a credit um, and he's sort of in the film to the extent that he's standing with his arm around the shoulders of the cameraman but I, d- does he ever actually appear i think you catch glimpses of him like a pepper's ghost in in a window or just a reflection in a mirror oh, okay yeah but you, i don't think you get kind of a full frontal of him as it were sure um I, when i first heard of that i thought it was the most amazing piece of stunt casting i'd ever heard of in my life mm, mm. what we're going to do is pay a ton of money to get this famous person um, presumably in the hope of luring in some of his fans. Um, mm-hmm. But then we're not even going to put him on screen. Yeah, well, it, it brings to mind um, the film from a few years ago called Frank, which was, um, you know, kind of a biography of, I can't remember his name, but he played the Frank Sidebottom character. Uh, Chris something, I think he's called. Um, and okay. the, the, you know, the, the, there's a biography made of his life after his his untimely death um and they cast the irish actor michael oh what's his name michael fassbender um you know a true okay. a-list megastar actor not once does he appear mm-hmm. on camera without the mask on without the frank side bottom mask <laughs> Going to say that then, then, then put a huge crude papier mache head on top of them. Correct. Yeah, very interesting decision. Um, topic for today, Doc, if you don't mind. Um, here's the topic for today the first metal track you can remember hearing. It doesn't matter if you liked it or not, but your first conscious memory of a metal tune. What you got for me? Yes. Um, I can say with some confidence, uh, it was Motorcycle Man by Saxon.
believe, was performed on the old Grey Whistle test. Mm-hmm. Um, and this would have been on very, very shortly after Doctor Who. Um, yeah. And I'm going to say that would have been 1978. Right. Oh, I'm going to yes. Say it was 1977 or 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was definitely my, my first encounter with... Um, the strange and interesting world of heavy metal. Yeah, um, it caught my attention because it caught my attention because and this is a great story um, that um, I don't know if people nowadays will believe, but in as much as you believe anything I say, this actually appeared in our local newspaper. Um, Saxon had played at JB's in Dudley, which is obviously mm-hmm. the scroty old JB's that looked like that, that, that looked like a gas chamber. Sure, um, and. Um, at least one fan had died and the other was in a coma because they had heard about headbanging but didn't realise that it didn't mean putting your hands on each other's shoulders and banging your heads <laughs> against each other's heads. Like a pair of Klingons. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, they had apparently done this consistently throughout a Saxon show at Dirty JB's. One of them was dead for a brain hemorrhage and the other one was in a coma. Oh, dear, dear, dear. In General Hospital. Um, <laughs> and I distinctly remember that being in the local newspaper. And so, uh, good, good memories all round. <laughs> you, you ghoul, Doc, you ghoul. That's a great story. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember your first impressions? Okay, my first impressions. Um, do you remember the old Grey Whistle test being on television? Uh, just about. I mean, I've got a vague recollection of lots of lots of hairy men, basically. Yeah. So effectively, it was um, John Peel sessions, mm-hmm. uh, but on television and presented by a chap uh, presented by a chap called Bob Harris. Yeah. Um, and it was a, a it, it was a very small studio at BBC Television Centre. Um, I believe it was the spare studio that they kept in reserve in case they couldn't use the news studio. Yeah. Um, so I believe the official the official name for it was Pres Two, uh-huh. Pres One or Presentation One was the one that was kept permanently as the news and weather studio. And if that ever had a catastrophic failure um, or they needed a spare, they were obliged by the law to keep a, um, a spare on permanent standby mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't needed all the time they did the old grey whistle test in there because it had no sets um, only very basic lighting and um, I suppose semi-retired video cameras so um, like se- second stream video cameras that were probably used in the early 70s and then put into semi-retirement or put into stores when new stuff got available mm. so even by the standards of the late 70s it looks incredibly crude. It's, mm. it's in an unadorned studio. There are no coloured filters on the light, so it's just very um, static, harsh white lighting. Um, and it's done with those video cameras that are sort of old and worn out enough to leave the... Um, if I were to say the um, the green ghost trails after them, do you know what I meant? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely, yes. It's like, like um, an artefact of, of that particular set of equipment, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Um, and if you point the camera at a bright object, um, such as someone's shiny axe for too yeah. long, and then move the camera, uh, the, the bright object will draw like a, a, a ghostly green trail after sure. it that will persist on the screen for quite a long yeah. time. Um, so, I mean, it's 
The purpose of the programme was obviously to give people the closest reproduction they could get to going to see the band in a very small club. Mm. Um, and for a, a small boy whose only experience of what pop music was like had probably been Noel Evans' multicolored swap shop. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very, very harsh, alienating environment. Um, and the people quite naturally in the late 70s were not remotely glamorous. Sure. Um, to paraphrase uh, to paraphrase another um, Saxon song title, there was a preponderance of denim and leather. <laughs> yes, yeah, so it's um, Saxon, not... Not known for their great beauty, are they? <laughs> well, no, not at all. Um, no. <laughs> uh, the singer, the, the singer Biff Byford, I believe, was known as the Woolly Mammoth. <laughs> Such a funny band. Uh, which I think is a yes. great moniker. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but um, there's, there's a little part of the um, that will never forget being in my grandmother's living room at, when was it, 6.30 on a Saturday night, um, and um, hearing a slightly out-of-tune power chord. Mm. The other thing about the Old Grey Whistle Test is bands can never seem to tune up properly mm-hmm. um, before appearing. Um, a slightly out-of-tune power chord followed by the immortal lyrics, Motorcycle Man! <laughs> like that. Yeah, perfect, a perfect rendition. <laughs> you, don't, you don't forget things like that when you... <laughs> Very small. That's true. Yeah, um, mine was maybe maybe slightly more classy than yours, Doc. I must be honest. Um, was <laughs> <laughs> was Where Eagles Dare by the Mighty Iron Maiden from their, um, which was the first track of their 1983 album. Well, their, their 1983 masterpiece. Let let let's call it what it is. Peace of mind. Um, so, you know, somebody lent me a copy um, on tape, I believe it, it was. Um, and, I mean, if you're familiar with the song, Doc, it is, it's is—it's—it's like a six or seven minute opus with barely any vocals, um, rollickingly fast at times, um, you know, the, 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 the classic Maiden gallop throughout... Um, you know, as a as a ten year, ten or eleven year old, I must have been at the time. You know, who, whose exposure to rock music at that time, the heaviest stuff I was listening to was Queen. Um, it kind of blew my mind. I absolutely loved it, and you know, from that there was no turning back. You know, it was the welcome to hell moment. Basically, it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it then, and I love it to this day. So, as a bit of a follow-on from this topic, um, I think it needs to be pointed out, uh, if you were in the UK in the late 70s and early 80s, um, there was no such thing as, like, a a dedicated rock AM radio station, Mm. um, particularly not in the regions. Um, London, I couldn't tell you about, because I I, I know those people have more local radio. Um, more independent local radio than we did. Um, but you could receive only probably six or seven different radio stations. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there was no way to hear metal, was there? Not that I can remember. I mean, I, th- I think by the mid-80s, maybe you had 
Tommy Valance doing a, like a show on, as you say, like on, on one of the on one of the London stations. But now in the Midlands, I have no recollection of a, of a rock. No. Even I mean, certainly not a rock channel, but not even like a rock show. Um, the closest we got to back then was. So the, oh, sorry, Doc. The closest we got to back then was very occasionally the chart show on ITV would show the rock charts. Um, yeah, so that would have been one week after four, because if I remember correctly, they had the dance chart, the indie chart, the yeah. rock chart, and the R&B chart. You got it. That's uh, it. Which they showed, they showed each one week out of four. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of 10 seconds from each track, and then they'd play one full-length track. Am I right? I think you're, I think you're spot on, yeah. I think they would, they, would, yeah, they would play a short section from each of the first nine and then whatever whatever was at number one would be played in its entirety um and you know if you're lucky yeah if you if you're lucky it would be it would be maiden or you know by the mid 90s you might get a bit of sepultura or something like that but very 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 occasional very intermittent right so here's a question for which i'm going to ask you to dredge back to the depths of your mind um in the early days of channel four Mm. And I don't know whether this program was on Channel 4 or whether it was ITV playing catch-up to Channel 4. Mm-hmm. Because when Channel 4 broke, um, ITV also began running some fringe and minority programming very, very late at night. Mm-hmm. And once or twice in some sleepless nights preparing for exams and stuff, um, I caught one or two episodes of some sort of heavy metal television program, which I, I, suspected was, I suspect was imported as part of a package from the U.S., it was definitely an American accented presenter, uh-huh. um, and it was shown. It was shown either on ITV or Channel Four. I think at about two in the morning. Yeah. Do you have any memory of that? I remember the existence of it because I remember. I mean, my, my strongest memory is seeing uh, the video of Dark Ages. I think it's called by Vader. Um, and I'd never seen, I'd never, I'd never heard anything ah. like it or seen anything like it. Um, I also seem to remember Carcass appearing on there. Um, well, not not them appearing because it was all uh, it was all produced videos, wasn't it? So th- so it was the official video for yes, yes. incarcerated solvent abuse by Carcass. Um, yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember that. Are we ready for the show, Doc? I think we are, yes. Let's, let, let, let's get it done. Okay, and welcome to part two of the show. Here, we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to, and generally just get on down. This week's song is track four from Slayer's second album, Hell Awaits, entitled Praise of Death. So, we're already on to side two, would you believe, Doc? This is the first track on side two. Here we go. It's more proto-death metal, isn't it? Definitely, and um, that bass keeps popping up like a lost soul, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I absolutely love this opening riff. It, it, it's cool as. It, it's a great start to a song. Ah! 
Almost, I would say. What do you think, Doc? Uh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Definitely bordering on catchy. Mm. Um, I mean, it's it's not doing a lot to stand out for me at the moment. At the mm-hmm. moment, I'd say it's a really good track. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those things, isn't it, that when you're listening to the output of a band that you already know is a great band... Um, I mean, I'll unreservedly say, so far, it's a really good track. Yeah. Now, I almost feel bad about myself because I can't think of anything to say much beyond that. Most bands, um, most bands in the world, if you can say, yeah, that's a really good track, um, then by your standards, that's really, really um, high praise for them. Sure. But it's Slayer, for God's sake. And I, I, I feel as though I should be making a bit more effort and I should have a bit more say <laughs> for myself about it. Um, it's proto-death metal, for sure. Um, you can hear the bass, which is always nice. The vocals are inching, um, inch by inch, mm-hmm. towards the classic Slayer vocal style of seemingly with each track on this album. Um, the vocals are moving incrementally towards the album's three, four, and five style. Would that suggest to you that they recorded the songs in order of appearance on the album? Um, It would suggest to me that there's been some thought put into the ordering of the tracks on the album. I Mm. wouldn't like to guess what order they were recorded in. Um, But, I mean, for instance, we've had two tracks next to each other, both of which unusually have a very prominent bass in them. Sure. Um, we might take a guess they were recorded in the same session. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's beyond the band's possibility that when they were assembling the album or when the producer was assembling the album, um, he picked an order for them for some purpose. Yeah. And if you were to ask me right now, I would say the purpose is to move from the vocal style of Early Slayer, of album One Slayer, towards the vocal style of Future Slayer. Very, very interesting observation, Doc. Absolutely loving Dave's uh, Tom flurries throughout. Dave really seems to be, um, you know, becoming more and more ambitious and confident in 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 the, in the in the drum patterns that he's prepared to lay down for this album. Absolutely great. Yeah, and um, I think it's worth pointing out that confidence and ability is not always hallmarked by flashiness. Mm-hmm. I suppose. 
if I had had the, 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 um, the advantage of being educated by some people who know what they're talking about, which is to say people who play the drums, um, I might have thought to myself that he's actually reining it in a bit here because mm. there aren't so many of his mini solos, there aren't so many of his lyrical flushes, which I suppose at, at some point in my life I would have associated with being a good drummer with mm. a capital A, a capital G and a capital D. Um, but um, sometimes holding back um, is can be a bigger test of your ability um sometimes just keeping time can be the most difficult thing sure mm -hmm. um, i don't think there are i don't think there are many flashes and flurries in this track compared to say the previous one mm. um but he's he's got a tighter ship to hold together on this one we have to wait until really until south of heaven before he really lets it all rip so we've still got another we've still got a, a, you know a, an album and a bit to get to get through before we, before we, before we see Dave Lombardi, D Dave Lombardo truly unleashed. Something to look forward to, Doc. Here we go. That was Kerry ripping it up on the uh, fretboard there. Now, <clears throat> the solo um, configuration in this song is very, very unusual, as we will see very, very shortly. Rejoice! Tom gets a little moment all, all to his own. The very split second after I said that I wasn't noticing uh, many um, Lombardo flourishes in this track, the next time you played a section of the track, there were some Lombardo flourishes. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like he can hear you. Yeah. Um, Dave, you know how to make me look silly. <laughs> going off the fucking wall here doc it's absolutely crazed what they're attempting here now it's not really clear when we just listen to it um but what's actually taking place here is six separate solos um so kerry starts then jeff takes over kerry's back jeff's back kerry's back jeff's back and then they're back into the song it's i've never known the like of it change it doc um well that's one of the things we come to slayer for isn't it 
Um, the dynamics like that, um, I suppose in terms of strict musicology, they might be simplistic, mm -hmm. um, but they're just so terribly effective. And I don't know what it is. I can't think of another band that does anything like that quite as well. Mm. The closest you get is Morbid Angel, mm -hmm. um, who I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think it's incorrect to say that Morbid Angel are slightly more skilled musicians than Slayer. Um, and they can't do it without a bit of the musicianly flourish mm. every time they do it. Um, the way that Slayer do something like that, um, it's the effect of someone getting your attention by backhanding you across the face. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, you're listening to the track, um, and then the track just goes, Oi, pay attention. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. It, it, it almost kind of lulls you into a false sense of, sense of security and then crack you around the chops. Wake up, motherfucker. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. I don't think your statement's controversial about um, the musicianship. I, I don't think there are many people that would claim that either Kerry or Jeff is a better guitarist than, than Treya Zakthoff. Um, you know... Eric from Ripping Corpse. And, you know, I mean, Pete Sandoval. It, it is Pete Sandoval, isn't it? The, the drummer from Morbid Angel. Um, you know... Yes. You know, I think there is a story that may or may not be apocryphal that <clears throat> Pete was practicing after they'd been doing some kind of recording session. The rest of the band pissed off home or, or to the hotel or wherever they were saying, came back the next morning and found him fast asleep on the drums. He'd fallen asleep practicing. That guy was was was, <laughs> was an obsessive, I think. Mate, if he was truly dedicated, he'd still have been practicing when they it's came true. to the studio. What a fucking lightweight. You're right. It does not impress me. No. What, what a tosser. interesting atonality going on there it almost sounds like the guitars are out of tune they're not i'm sure they're doing it quite deliberately it, it, it's quite abrasive that riff so this is where um slayer are beginning to experiment with things that can be done um within music and with slayer never or not yet at least don't go down the full-on noise route but they definitely begin to experiment with very unusual time signatures mm -hmm. um very unusual harmonic structures yeah um kerry king of course has never been a stranger to getting funny noises out of his guitar mm -hmm. um i sometimes think that kerry king wouldn't mind a bit if he took all of his frets away yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like um, max like max cavalera with with just his three uh, strings yeah um i mean the, the, the um I was thinking more kind of the same idea, but um, in the opposite direction. So yeah, um, yeah. leave Mr. King with um, leave Mr. Mr. King with, with, with six strings and just tune <laughs> each one to a different note and let him wiggle the treble arm to, uh, to actually get yeah. the pitch out of it. No, nobody would know the difference. Um, it's just a bunch of noise. I, well, I really like the way that um, early on Slayer have got a Judas Priest style twin guitar attack. Mm. Um, it's um, so in the manner of Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Tipton and KK Downing, you can't say Glenn Downing guitar 
uh, KK Downing guitar, Glenn Tipton guitar, you have to say Glenn, uh, Glenn Tipton and KK Downing twin guitar attack. Of course, of course, um, yep. And um, Slayer are sort of moving beyond that structure now, and you can see the distinct roles, I think, that Jeff and Kerry are taking up in the band. Um, and Jeff is the Jeff is the anchorman. Um, Jeff is the guy you associate with the riffs and with the structured solos. Mm. And Kerry is now beginning to take up the role for which he is most famous, um, which is the guy who drops a ton of noise and pick squeals and tremolo wiggles and borderline feedback and excessive noise all over the stuff. And yeah. I think you're just beginning to see that role emerging now. Yeah, I think you're right. And also, I, I associate in my mind Kerry with being like the true speed merchant of the band. Um, yeah, um, but he's... Um, I was going to say he, he's, he's, he's rhythm and chords. Um, and I think he is. Uh, it's just that his chords tend to be very, very strange chords. Mm. Um, and the way in which he approaches interesting rhythm is just to play really, really quickly. Yes, I think you're right. Let's see what happens next. Here we go. <laughs> section it is fantastic and it makes me wish they had kept that balance between the whoever's playing the rhythm whoever's playing the rhythm guitar part and the bass mm. i wish they'd kept that mm. for mm. more slayer material i think it works really really well i agree it's jeff doing the rhythm there because this is another another kerry solo um but yeah i i i, I, I totally agree it's very 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 effective <laughs> Doc's gone mad. The doc's gone mad. He's grimacing at me, trying to scare me like the, like the dolls are scaring him. Um, this is interesting, isn't it? This bit. This this is both effectively a call back and a call forward to something that's going to happen later in the album. Now I am privy to that. You know, maybe you're not a good doctor, um, but this is at once a call back to the intro to the opening track, Hell Awaits. And also, we're going to hear kind of a, of a, a reprise of this whole section in about two songs' time. Yeah, I mean, it, it, um, I spotted um, the call back to... So, this is the first track on side one. I spotted the call back to the first track on... Uh, sorry, this is the first track on side two. Yeah. I spotted the call back to the first track on side one, mm -hmm. um, which I think is very interesting. Mm. Um, it's a way of conceptually uniting the two songs both in their place on the album and we'll find out in a bit whether they've got any any shared lyrical themes or any shared content sure sure so yeah and again it, it, this motif will be picked up again 
later in the album. I presume it's on the last track, which is Hardening of the Arteries. I'm not sure if it's... It could be Crypts of Eternity. It could be Hardening of the Arteries. The great thing is, Doc, we're going to find out soon. Here we go. <laughs> seconds to go let's close it out so there we go that was track four from hell awaits entitled praise of death um I thought it was a rock-solid thrash juggernaut that never really did anything truly exceptional, but equally never did anything wrong either. What do you reckon, Doc? Yeah, I mean, at the risk of repeating myself, an average track for Slayer would be an outstanding track for almost any other thrash band ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if, I'd have come, if I'd have come across that track on a... Overkill album or an Annihilator album, um, I would have sat here slack jawed, <laughs> flabbergasted that that band could have produced that track. Sure. Um, so let's chalk it up as um, it's it's evidence of what a great band Slayer are that they can make that track and it doesn't even seem particularly special by their standards. Sure. Mm-hmm. But a great reference to Overkill, though. I always enjoy it when you mention Overkill, Doc. Isn't their guitarist called Rat? I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, overkill means so many things to me. Um, the, the ridiculous thing is, I think Overkill probably mean more to me than many, many, many better thrash bands because... Uh, Overkill are literally the definition of average. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. They're not too bad. They're not too bad. They're not very good. Mm-hmm. They're not very extreme. They're not too bland. <laughs> um, they, don't, they don't offend anyone. Um, they wear jeans and leather jackets and mm-hmm. their hair's quite long. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean... When you give your band a name, um, which is a piece of military jargon um, that means to use more ordnance or more weapons or more explosives than is required to kill everyone in the area you're conducting an assault or a raid on, when you give yourself that name, you set some expectations. um, And, you know, I think they should probably actually have been called... Like sufficient to kill, or yes. just enough kill. Yeah, you're right. Or yes, no more, ki- no more kill than is strictly necessary. Yeah, yeah, m- m- mildly grazed, I would call them mildly grazed. Yes. Um, back to Slayer though, Doc. Um, 
yeah, it, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, really, to extract much more out of because it is, you know, it, I don't like to use the word, but it's pretty generic, isn't it, by Slayer standards? Yes, it is. Uh, um, I'm kind of, I'm not struggling to think of things to say about it, but I, I'm afraid I can't think of much more um, interesting to say about it than no. um, it's a good Slayer track. And I mean, the, the, there's, there's nothing worse than one of those conversations or one of those pieces of criticism, is that it's all right, it's a, re it's, it's a good Slayer track, yeah, it's yeah. a really good Slayer, and I'm going to stop speaking about it now because there are only so many times that even the most patient person in the world can listen to me say it's a really good Slayer track. Yeah, that so, as Marina Hyde taught, uh, uh, taught us previously, re uh, reviewing or criticising anything basically comes down to I like that or I don't like that. Um, and there's not much we can do about it with a song like this, which has no standout moments, no duff moments. It just kind of gets the job done. Should we move on to the lyrics? Welcome to part three of the show, which we call Evil Speak. Here, we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom is generally blasting in our faces. So, here goes. Verse one. Deceased in mind, decree of death, blackened heart, baptised in fire, exertion, now need to blitz, vicious ways brought up in hell, draw the line, life or death, potent thrust, excessive pain, massive dose, adrenaline, minor threat, cannot decline. Utter, utter gibberish. <laughs> Fits with the music. I don't like doing this. I really don't like mm. having to read a batch of lyrics um, and then say, um, those are utter bollocks. But I've, I've read through them a couple of times yesterday, a couple of times this morning, and I'm just <laughs> reading through them again now. And it's utter bollocks. It is. Um, it's, <coughs> it's, it's, it's words of English. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> but bizarrely, it contains almost no meaning. No, no. Well, it's it's so meaningless. I can't help thinking that there was some, some effort was put into this. Mm. Deceased in mind, decree of death. Blackened heart, baptised in fire. Mm -hmm. And my favourite, um, <laughs> exertion now need to blitz. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> I've got absolutely no idea, Doc. I wish I could help you here. Now... You know, full confession time. Normally, before an episode, you know, I do, I do make the effort to do a bit of research, a bit of reading. I'll read the lyrics. I list. I watch them perform it live, so I know, you know, who's playing what solo generally. Um, because of all the Christmas shenanigans, I just haven't had chance to to do that. So I, I'm coming to these cold, and I have to tell you, um, you know, normally. When I read when I read some some Slayer lyrics, instantly you know two or three things jump out. I'm drawing a blank, Doc. I'm drawing a total blank here. It's it's gobbledygook. It's just gobbledygook. I am I'm interested in this expression minor threat. 
I'm assuming it's not an explicit reference to uh, Gipigiotto's band. I did wonder um, that. I wondered if that was no. that was deliberate. Uh, I think I need to correct myself. I think Minor Threat was Ian Mackay's band. I think mm. Gipigiotto's okay. band. I think that was Rites of Spring, but I need to check. Mm. So I'm assuming it's not um, an explicit reference to them, but I, I'm, I'm assuming it's a reference to the same thing that the name of that band refers to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I now feel motivated to go back and read, read up on a bit of the history of US politics um, or US legislation um, and find out what minor threat might actually mean. Because rather shockingly, I've never taken the trouble to find out before. Mm-hmm. I'm just t- I'm totally drawing a blank, Doctor. And unless you have anything further to say about this first, this first little batch of lyrics, should we move on to the chorus? Let's move on to the next bit and see if it makes any sense. Stricken to live, hell on earth, shackled and bound we lie. Praise of death, life's a dream, we're only living to die. Um, Stricken to live, hell on earth, shackled and bound we lie. Are these normal people? Are these some kind of, I don't know, creatures that come up from hell and try to live amongst humans? I don't know the answer. The the only thing I can possibly torture out of it at all um, is it's about depression. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you take that in mind, it makes sense of the chorus. Stricken to live. I would like it better if the lyrics were damned to live. Sure, um, mm-hmm. but never mind. Mm. Um, mm. Effectively, it's an equa- it's, it's it's an equation of life on hell, uh, life on earth being an existence in hell. Yeah. And, um, if you take it from the point of view of um, someone who is so very deeply into the pits of depression that actually their ability to meaningfully communicate has deserted them, that yes. kind of makes sense of the first two verses. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's someone who knows words of English and who is vaguely attempting to articulate emotions, but the ability to feel emotions or the ability to articulate them has actually deserted them at that moment. That's sure. the closest I can come. Sure. I, 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 I think it's a fair pass. I think it's a, it, it's a fair um, effort on your part. Um, praise of death, life's a dream, we're only living to die. Certainly sounds like the kind of thought process of somebody who may be in the grip of severe depression, um, shackled and bound. You know, if we follow your logic here, then that's being used figuratively, isn't it, rather than literally, um, you know, kind of sh- shackled by society rather than by any kind of physical ropes or chains. Would you agree? Yeah, you certainly could read it. Uh, you, you, you certainly could read it like that. Um, yeah. You can, you can, the, the notion of, um, actually living existence on earth is what one typically expects from being damned to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, just quickly going back to the first verse, you've got that strange line, vicious ways brought up in hell, which is what, what led me to ask the question, you know, are these people or are they, you know, some kind of supernatural force that's risen from hell and, he, and he's amongst us effectively? I'm going to stick to um, my interpretation of this. Yeah. And the, uh, what's, what's meant by hell here is um, it, the ghetto or the deprived 
urban areas or yeah. whatever personal hell you find yourself growing up in. Sure, I like yours. I like, I like, I like your interpretation here. Um, verse 2. Victim of life, insanity lives, deep in shock, intensive care, tables turned, blast of strength, kill at once, time to prevail, begin to crank, feel the rush, start to rage, take to extremes, push too far, overkill, yay, time to die, no way to <laughs> um, <clears throat> Again, you know, it, 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 it's a bunch of English words, isn't it? Ordered in some kind of, put it to some kind of configuration. We have the medical link there, deep in shock, intensive care. You know, that, that certainly suggests somebody that's been hospitalised to me. Right. Um, could I get away with suggesting that um, this use of the word shock mm. um, infers someone who's been subjected to electroconvulsion therapy? Oh, go on. Elaborate, sir. Um, electric, well, electroconvulsion therapy or electric shock therapy um, certainly does have the effect of temporarily or in some cases permanently dislocating the, the bits of your brain that think rationally from the bits of your brain that form coherent thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, at the risk of lending these lyrics an air of sophistication that they may not deserve, <clears throat> and I'm perfectly willing to accept that they're just bad lyrics, mm. um, rattle this round your brain a bit. Is it an attempt to write words from the point of view of someone who's recently been subjected to ultraconvulsion therapy or some other form of very extreme psychiatric therapy um, and is trying to order their thoughts, is trying to write, write stuff round, uh, down, but the coherence just isn't there? Yeah, I was getting the image in my head from this second verse here of somebody hospitalised in some way, you know, for some extreme psychological condition, some kind of psychosis that makes them unable to function in in society. So for their own protection, they're, 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 they're removed from society and hospitalised, institutionalised, and somehow they kind of break free of this incarceration and go on some kind of, you know, a killing spree, effectively. That's, that's the image it's putting in my head, Doc. Yeah, um, in their own imagination, possibly. Um, mm. Tables turned, blast of strength. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you're either into you're either into comic book territory that's so silly that, and I I, I can't get that image out of my head now either. That um, the guy's been given very very powerful ECG, um, and somehow the, the the electricity that's being squirted into his brain imparts supernatural strength. Now you're talking um, about shocker. The Wes Craven movie from the mid-80s. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we are here today to bear witness to the execution of Horace Pinker, 
whose unspeakable atrocities have horrified the people of this great state. He stands convicted of 52 counts of aggravated assault, 23 counts of armed robbery, and 37 counts of murder in the first degree. Prisoner, have any final words? Yeah. No more Mr. Nice Guy. I don't think he's dead. He's among you! Now, Wes Craven brings you his greatest creation. No more! Shocker. <laughs> I had completely forgotten about Shocker. Um, I, I, I completely forgotten about. Um, I, I completely forgotten about all those interviews where he said that um, when they when Wes Craven said, you know, like you might think Freddy Krueger was cool, you might have thought Freddy Krueger was scary, but let me tell you, once you've seen my new creation, you're gonna you're gonna forget all about Freddy Krueger, and the only character you're gonna have nightmares about is Horace Pinker. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this strangely, did not happen. No, it didn't catch on in quite the same way. Um, shocker. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, I, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying these lyrics are based on um, Shocker because I think they're almost contemporaneous. Wes Craven's Shocker. Wes, Wes Craven's, Craven's of course. Yeah, Wes Craven's Shocker. Um, but yeah, that, that's certainly the, the, the image it gives me. Not necessarily that they have to be supernatural, um, <clears throat> but you know the, the, the you know kind of the you know like the the strength of the of the of the insane potentially. Yes, um, I can't believe that in about fifteen seconds we've gone from contemplating quite seriously whether or not this song is a meditation on the experience of depression to talking about the fact that, no, um, it's a super-powered madman um, who was able to break out of a mental hospital because of absorbing electricity from electric shock therapy. Um, yeah. Uh, so you're not giving us many clues as to whether we should be taking this seriously or not. No. Um, I've got one more thing to say on the subject of Wes Craven's shocker. Are you able to remember off the top of your head um, Wes Craven's shocker? Um, had a theme song which was a theme to Wes Craven's Shocker. Open brackets. No more Mister Nice Guy. No. Well, oh, that's terrible. Who did that song. Oh well, the, it, no more Mister Nice Guy. The 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 version I know of that is Megadeth, but it, it could be a different song. <laughs> Actually, and I think the original was by was by L.A. Bad Boys Motley Crue. I could be wrong, but I think so. Ah, mm, um, I think some research, lots of research for us to do to make up the uh, correction section of the next episode. Anyway, I think you're right. Um, here we go. Let's get into the breakdown. Running and hunting and 
running and hunting and slashing and crushing and searching and seeing and stabbing and shooting and thrashing and smashing and burning, destroying and killing and bleeding and pleading. Then death. Um, I think somebody bought Slayer a big book of verbs. What do you reckon? I think someone bought Slayer a big book of verse. And I think the big book of verse which they bought them contained the Cataract of Lador, um, which is a poem by Robert Southey, um, who I believe was a poet laureate of some description. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Slayer ever read this poem, but um, I studied it probably in secondary school English, maybe at age 11, um, and as, as an example of the correct way to use onomatopoeia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll pick out a little section from the middle of it. So it's intentionally, it sets out to abandon any kind of poetic structure and use the sounds of words wherein the sounds sound like the thing they're describing. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll pick a little section out. Um, as if a war raging, its caverns and rocks among, rising and leaping and sinking and creeping and swelling and sweeping and showering and springing, flying and flinging and writhing and ringing, eddying and whisking and sprouting and frisking and turning and twisting around and about with endless rebout, smiting and fighting, a sight to delighting, confounding, astounding, dizzying and deafening the ear with its sound. Yeah. I mean, uh, clearly the same structure, clearly the same meter. Um w- uh, when was that uh, published, Doc? Um, sometime in the 1820s. Um, oh, so yes. So it was that sort of early, uh, early. Uh, you'd call it definitely within the period of modern English literature, contemporary mm. with Jane Austen. Mm. Um, and I suppose that period of, of the history of English literature, when people were beginning to emerge from merely using language to tell stories, um, and convey plots and people were beginning to have fun with language for the first time would you would you say that it's likely that that would be a poem that would be studied in an american high school or not um i think any school that had a a sort of english literature or creative writing curriculum where you study the basic components of poetry so you study rhyme you study meter uh, and then you study poetic devices such as Assonance, and then sooner or later you get around to looking at onomatopoeia, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is put put very very crudely, where um, a word like bang, yeah, of course, the word itself sounds like the sound it's describing. Yeah, zip. Um, and I think this is one of the yes, mm. it's one of those go to poems to um, learn about onomatopoeia and how to do it right. Mm. Very, very interesting. So I don't think it's out of the question. No, I, yeah. no, I don't actually. From what you're saying, it, it's too much of a coincidence, isn't it? That it is almost, it's you know, it, it, it's too close. Yeah, and um, it's uh, I, I don't think it can possibly be um, a coincidence. Mm. Um, and um, I think it elevates the frankly um, directionless bollocks of the rest of the lyrics. <laughs> um, <laughs> That um, when Slayer choose to go literary, they choose to go literary in the style of an early Victorian poem. It makes me think that there's more to the rest of these lyrics than just their bollocks. 
Yeah, although, you know, we, we, we've encountered this problem before, haven't we? We're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to extract some kind of purpose, logic, thought, um, narrative from, from, from the lyrics. And then we, ha- then we just have to remember these words are written by Kerry King and, and sometimes his words are, unfortunately, total bollocks. I don't believe anyone can sit down to write a story or a poem or a piece of narrative fiction and end up with something that literally means nothing. Sure. Um, very sure. often it will end up meaning something other, meaning something other than um, what they intended it to be. Um, sometimes they will they will set out to make it tragic and it will end up hilarious. Um, but inevitably you'll learn something if even if it's only about the psychology of the person who wrote it. Mm, mm, you're right. So I don't think it's ever a mistake to read anything for its meaning. Shall we see if we can get anything out of the last verse, good doctor? Yes, let's. Here we go. At Mach 10 velocity, pressure builds, can't take the strain. Lifeblood flows to its grave. Dripping sweat, death shall arise. Time to think, time to breathe. Feel the pulse, life will expire. Surging speed, hella fast. Cardiac, cease to exist. Um, there's a word there that I've never seen before. Now, is this, is this a typo? A fast? I, I, I do not know what that word means. I have no idea what it means either. No, it could, I mean it could it could be a typo. It's possible. I've, I've, as usual, I lift the lyrics from Encyclopedia Metallum, and they are generally very very good. Especially you know such a well known band of Slayer, thousands of people's eyes would have passed over it, and, and somebody would have corrected it if it were wrong. I would imagine. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I have no idea what that means. Uh, lifeblood flows to. I have one idea. Go on then, Doc. I have one idea and one idea only. Yeah. Um, coming from coastal, approximately coastal Southern California, um, I don't think it's out of the question that the members of Slayer would have grown up in a town that had some naval personnel, former naval personnel. It has the vague smell. It has the vague feeling of a uh, a naval expression. Yeah. Um, fast. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, the, 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 along with Ahoy or a vast, a vast, yeah, a vast hearties or something like you know from from pirate law. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, or um, land Ahoy or something like that. Yeah, yeah, it, it's got that feel, hasn't it? Certainly. Um, at Mach ten velocity, again, surely this is figurative. If 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 it, if it ties in with our, our our previous kind of conversation about the previous couple of verses. Um, Lifeblood flows to its grave. Now, that's a really interesting pronoun to use there, I think. Its grave. What, what is it? It is the lifeblood, I imagine. But if it is, then blood is not a corporeal entity that you would mm. imagine having a grave in its own right. No, sure. Um, in which case, we have to come to the conclusion that it refers to life. Because life, I suppose, is something that could have a grave. 
Yeah, that's possible. Um, but then that renders the blood completely redundant. Yeah, yeah. But and, mm-hmm. and also, you know, blood doesn't drip sweat. Even life doesn't. I know a person, you know, a, a, a creature does, but life itself does not drip sweat, surely. Um, so we've got all kinds of kind of mixed messaging going on here. Uh, it's really, really difficult to understand. Is there a protagonist in this? Is there a victim? I don't know the answer. I just, I just don't know. Are we, are we being invited to um, think of this verse as something like, and I've got a reference to Jacob's Ladder here, mm. um, which I've done a couple of times in context of things off this album. Um, and I don't even think that film had been released when the album came out. In fact, I'm sure it hadn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Jacob's Ladder I'm thinking of. Um, there are a number of very rapidly cut up sequences of people undergoing either therapy or torture or purgatory. You don't know which at the time. And it's sub one second shots of people's heads thrashing around, blood dripping, sweat dripping, sure. eyes bulging out of sockets. And they're cut very, very rapidly together um, with distorted uh, uh, shots with distorted lenses. Uh-huh. So um, it, I put it to you that the expression Mach 10 velocity, um, Mach 10, 10 times the speed of sound, um, the only thing of human construction that goes that fast uh, is a nuclear weapon on re-entry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's clearly just a reference to something else that goes very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, pressure builds, can't take the strain. I'm inviting you to think of this verse as a, a not very good attempt, but an attempt nevertheless to put into words of English um, one of those scenes and the scene I'm thinking of was, so, was clearly so influential because I feel as though every early 90s alt metal video had something a bit like this in, whether it be a bit of a guy restrained in a therapy chair, uh, flashing around and you get big close-ups of bulging eyes and big close-ups of surgical instruments being waved around. And, yeah. Um, and I, I, I think the tendrils... Big, big close-ups of... I, I, I think the tendrils go further, Doc. I, I would say that the, you know, the 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 J horror of the late nineties, early noughties was heavily inspired by the, the the editing processes of Jacob's Ladder, the movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's a case to be made that all horror of the nineties and beyond um, can trace its roots back to Seven and. Jacob's Ladder and The Silence of the Lambs. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, absolutely agree with you. Um, um, but I mean, I, 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 I just feel like I, I saw that little sequence get ripped off in millions and millions of 90s uh, old metal videos. Oh, well, you did um, right, yeah. I you, think you, it was in every single Nine Inch Nails video. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely, you are absolutely correct. Um, that last line, Doc, cardiac cease to exist i mean is this just a really clumsy way to try and make the you know a heart stopping you know is, is he just trying to define a heart stop stopping beating and he's trying to make it kind of florid and poetic and just totally failing i don't know if he's totally failing i mean yeah uh, what i took away from it was um they injected the program too much stuff they they, they got the voltage too high and they've got to give them a heart attack there it is 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm done. That was a tough one, wasn't it? That, that I found that really, really difficult. Actually, that's the first one where I've really, really struggled to, to, you know, to to give any kind of, I don't know, pleasing analysis. I would say. Um, this is the first set of Slayer lyrics we've come to where um, I am now willing to basically make an open letter or an open statement to anyone who might be listening to this. Um, I am perfectly prepared to accept the fact that I at least have got it completely wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated to know what other people make of these lyrics. Mm -hmm. When I said earlier on that I think it's never a mistake to read poetry or song lyrics, no matter how bad, for their meaning, because you will learn something, even if it isn't the true meaning. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also more than happy that the same thing can have different meanings to different people from different cultures. And if somebody else has been able to get some other meaning from those lyrics, I would be fascinated to hear about it because like you, Mo, um, I'm sort of struggling at the end of this song and feeling like I've done a very inadequate job. Yeah, don't so worry. We, I'm we, fascinated to know what other people think. You know, we, we can only work with what, what's in front of us. You know, it's a bit like, you know, a bit like a football team defeating a, a, a terrible football team. You can only beat what's in front of you. And we can only work with the, with, with, with the words that Slayer provide us. Um, anybody who does have any thoughts about this and would like to let us know, remember, we're on Twitter at Vercast. Email us at slaytanicvercast at gmail.com. Uh, for the moment, we're also on Facebook. Um, you can search for us at Slaytanic Vercast, but... Facebook do not like us and keep on blocking us for some reason. So best of luck with that, guys. Um, and that's it, I think. Are we ready to, to give our final thoughts? I am, yes. Welcome to part four of Slaytanic Vercast. Here, we just offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have inadvertently missed along the way. But before we do that, some deets. Writing credits, music is by Jeff Hanneman, and lyrics, not surprisingly, given what we've just fucking been listening to, uh, Kerry King, setlist. Um, this track was played 84 times, um, which puts it in 66th position, so not popular with the boys at all. Um, first played in Reseda Country Club. Doesn't that sound nice, Doc? Reseda Country Club. It sounds like a sort of um, elegant uh, sort of log cabin golf club in mm. the middle of a pine forest in um, Southern California, or possibly a, a, a slightly wooded area of Southern California somewhere. Um, and I really like the idea of somewhere like that hiring Slayer to play at their annual dinner dance or something. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, it's an, in, an inadvertent booking for a bar mitzvah, I like to think of. Um, <laughs> last played um, in a place called the Hollywood Palladium in Los Angeles. And that was on June the 5th, 1987. So they only really played it for two years and then dropped it like a stone. Um Final thoughts, Doc. It's been a tough one, hasn't it? This one. So I don't know if I don't know if if, if you've got any further to add. Don't worry if you haven't. Um, no, I don't. And at, at the risk of um, damning the fake praise, it was a really good song. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it is a very good song. Um, certainly not one that will live in the memory long, however. For me, the most interesting aspect was that, um, you know, the call back and the call forward. Structurally, I thought that was pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, also, the the, 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 the the configuration of the solos, where they, they play six solos back to back and just keep switching in and out. I, I I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think they've done that. I don't think they've done that before or since. So it's unique in that way. Um, but apart, apart from that, you know, just a good, solid Slayer track with absolutely awful, awful lyrics from Kerry King. Um, and then Doc, put, put, put your swords on the door. What, what, what are you giving it? If I just use my words to damn it with faint praise, I know I'm going to use my score to damn it with faint praise and give it five. Smack in the middle. Because there was literally <coughs> nothing mm. that made me thought it was particularly great and certainly nothing that made me think it was awful. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, shrug of the shoulders and five out of ten. Five out of ten. Out of curiosity, Doc, um, I'm sure other people have thought this as well. How, how do you go about scoring things in this way? Do you, you know, do you... Do you start at 10 and then deduct things for problems? Do you start at one and add things for, you know, stuff that you like? Or do you start in the middle and, and, and then just kind of slide up and down the scale accordingly? What's what's your process? Well, in the case of Slayer, I start at five. And yeah. then I, I I try not to do anything as cold-blooded as awarding merits and demerits yeah. as the thing mm-hmm. goes around. but. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I start at five, and the more things that make me pay attention, I tend to bump the score up. Yeah. And the more things that make me cringe, I tend to bump the score down. Mm. Um, as I've told you before, it, it's it's really, really difficult for anything to get a zero or a ten yeah. um, out of me. And I, I really do try hard not to hate things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm... Uh, I'm I'm far too easily pleased and far too easily amused. Mm. And uh, the peculiar thing is that when when I come when I feel like I've arrived at a score near the end of something, <clears throat> I then have to check it and moderate it because um, I end up thinking to myself, "Wait, you just decided to give that seven, but then there was this other thing that you also gave seven to, and you like this much better." Mm, mm. It, um, the whole process. Um, how does that work? Yeah, the whole process is quite reductive, really, isn't it? it, it I, I just consider consider it to be a, a necessary evil, really, um, because people like it. I'm I'm I'm, I'm quite an, I'm an instinct player, Doc. You know, I, I go with my gut. Um, and when it you know when it comes to actually allocating a score, I just go with what feels right. Um, I don't, you know, there's, there's no algorithm involved. There's no real logic to it. It's just, oh yeah, that that feels a bit like, you know, an eight, a nine, a four, whatever it happens to be. I I don't think I've ever given anything a zero. I don't think. Um, you have though, Doc. I mean, you, you gave something a zero. Of, uh, show no mercy. I seem to remember. Um, um, yeah, that. Oh, that, was it? Was it the final command? We'll think about it. Yeah. I think it was the final command. That annoyed me. That I know. I know. Just got under my fingernails and annoyed me. I know. Um, 
Do you want my score? Um, Here we go. It's annoying me to even think about it now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to uh, drag you through past traumas. I do apologise. Um, I am going to allocate this one because I like that uh, breakdown section. Because I like the the audacity to have a, both a call back and a call forward in the same song, um, in the same moment. For fuck's sake. Um, because I really, really like that, 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 that six solo transition. And I thought the first, uh, well, the, 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 the verse riff, the intro riff, the verse riff and the chorus riffs are rock solid. I'm going to give this, I'm not going to penalize it for the lyrics because that's, that, for me, that's a separate thing to, to the song. Um, I'm going to give it seven mutilated most schools out of, Ten. Five from the dock. Five liquescent swords from the good dock. Seven mutilated most schools from myself. Okay, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget, you can contact oh, us. Oh, go on, Doc. Go on. Fire away. Dolls are touching you. <laughs> Hopefully you'll still be alive for the next episode. Um... Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or an email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us, or certainly me, I mean, hopefully us, hopefully the doc survives his uh, encounter with Prince Andrew's dolls, for God's sake. Um, join us next time when we will be discussing the third, no, we will be discussing the fifth track from Hell Awaits, entitled necrophiliac i wonder what that's one i wonder what that one's about doc <laughs> see you later I don't know, but...